0: All right, you ready for the word? Let's get into it. Um, Listen, I want to talk to you about something today that is so important. Uh, It's so important. Uh, Important to me. uh, Important, I think, to God. Important for the church, Big C and Little C, Great Oaks Church. um, Important for lost people who have yet to experience the love of Christ what we're going to talk about today and really uh, what we're talking about in this series is so important. It's so important, vital. And there's this tension in my heart, I'll be honest, as I've prayed for the last few weeks over this uh, series, Follow Me. And as I've prayed over that, there's, a bit, there's this tension uh, between kind of some sadness over what we've missed out on. And, but then also this potential of what this could be um, if, we, if we really do this, the literal world-changing potential of this, because I think we're just not doing it. We're just not doing it. It's so clear in the Scriptures, and yet we, Big C Church, at least in America, are just not doing this. So there's this tension in me, this excitement over what could be, In this sorrow over what could have been. I hear angst and anxiety from all over, from people about the state of the world. They ask why. Why is the world this way? Why, why aren't people more people experiencing the love of Christ? Why is everything so messed up? Why isn't this next generation following the Lord? Why is all this happening? Why are churches on this side of the world, most churches, in decline and many of them closing their doors? People ask why. A lot of people ask the same question but make it more personal. Why aren't my kids following the Lord? Why aren't my kids giving their life over to Jesus? Why is my kid the unique one in her class because she only has one dad and one mom? Why is, are my kids having to deal with this? As I look at my extended family, my brothers, my sisters, their kids, why are so many in my family just falling apart? And I believe the answer is in what we're going to talk about today in this series. It's because we, those who say we follow Christ, haven't done what we're supposed to do. We've kind of forgotten this huge part of what it means to be a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying that the world would be perfect had we done this, but I am saying that the state of the world and definitely the state of the church would be much, much different if we had. But if You and me as the church will make a change if we'll remember what Jesus said and not just study it and memorize it and talk about it and go, wow, that was really good and really encouraging and feel good about ourselves that we talked about what Jesus said. If we'll not only do those things, but do what Jesus said to do. If we'll actually do it, then there is this great potential. Like an unborn baby in their mother's womb. This great and unknown potential. The sky's the limit. Like a farmer laying seed in the ground after a long drought has been broken by the rain. There's this excitement, this potential of what could be harvest, increase, food for the masses, change. So, what is this thing that I'm talking about? This thing that, if we're honest with ourselves, we failed at as the American church. This thing that, if we would pick it back up again, the world would dramatically change. It's disciple making. It's disciple making. I know that's not crazy. I know that's not new. I know it's not sexy. I get that. I know it's not this whole thing like, whoa, but it's disciple making. It would change the world if you and I would just make disciples. It's making 1 Corinthians 11.1 your life mantra, not just part of your life, not just something you do in addition to what you do with your kids or PTA or career or whatever else. It's making 1 Corinthians 11.1 your mantra, letting it permeate every area of your life. What does that verse say? The modern English version kind of puts it in a way that's easy to grab onto. It just says, follow me as I follow Christ. The ESV has it as be imitators of me as I am of Christ. My prayer in this series is that you, if you're a Christ follower, if you follow Jesus, that you would make this your life goal, your life mantra, that you would say it with your life and with your mouth. Follow me as I follow Christ to as many people as you come into contact with. Because whether you realize it or not, you are already a follower and you are already making followers. You are already a disciple, and you already have disciples. I showed you this quote last week at the beginning of this series, but I want you to see it again. Mark Deaver wrote this. He said, to be human is to be a disciple. God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. We are all disciples. The only question is, of whom? So you are already a disciple, a follower, whether you realize it or not. And you are influencing others, making followers, family, friends, coworkers, strangers. You are discipling them. The question is, where are you taking them? Where are you leading them? In other words, you are already saying the first part of this 1 Corinthians 11, 1 verse with your life, whether you realize it or not, you are already saying this, follow me. The question is, what is your version of the last part of this statement? Is it follow me as I follow Christ? Or is it follow me as I follow me? Follow me as I follow money. Follow me as I follow comfort. Follow me as I follow my kids. Follow me as I follow likes on social media. What a waste of time. So last week we talked about you as a follower first. You have to be following after Christ. Not just believe, not just like what he does or like what he does for you, but a follower does what Jesus does. If you missed last week, you really can't apply this week's message until you hear that one. So make sure you listen to it on iTunes or watch it at greatoaks.church. You can't do this if you're just a fan of Jesus. You can't do this if you're just a friend of Jesus. you got to be a follower of Jesus to make followers of Jesus. Start there. But I want to talk to you about the why today. And the question I want to address today is just why make disciples? Why, why make disciples? There's a lot of answers to this question, but I'm going to give you three today. Why Make disciples. Reason number one, love. Everybody say love. love. Don't you love saying love? I mean, it just feels great to say it. Why make disciples? Because of love. If you have your Bible, you can grab it head over to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, you're new to our church or whatever, you can use your phone, go to the YouVersion Bible app, tap on events, and you'll have all of our notes and our Bible passages there. Or you can just watch on the screen Um, as we throw them up there. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. This is not some obscure passage you've never heard before. I've preached on it before. Other preachers have preached on it before. You've heard this before. Jesus is going to tell us something. It's one of his most famous sayings, but it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Okay, so there's a lawyer that comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus the question you and I want to know. Everybody wants to know this question. What's the greatest commandment? In other words, what do I have to do to get into heaven, right? Like, what's a, like, there are a lot of commandments, Jesus. Have you read it? I mean, there's a lot. So which one is like the real, basic, biggest, most important commandment in the law? Because then I can maybe not follow these over here, right? So what's the bottom line here for me to get in? What am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, love. Love. Love is the greatest commandment. Love of God, that's the first and greatest. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, love God with everything you've got. Not as uh, on the edge of your life, not just as an aside thing, not just as another thing you add, like a hobby to your life, but love Jesus, love God with all that you have. That's first. And if Jesus had stopped here he would have answered the lawyer's question, right? He asked, what's the greatest? God, I just want one. What's the greatest commandment? If he'd have stopped there, he, he would have answered the lawyer's question. And I think the lawyer would have liked him to stop there. And I think you and I, if we're honest with our, ourselves, would have liked Jesus to have stopped there. Because if Jesus stops with love, God, nobody can call us on anything, right? It's an internal thing only. It's not outward at all. And so if somebody goes, hey, I think maybe you're off base here. Or if you're challenged to do something for Jesus or give something up for Jesus. Or, or you're convicted by the sin in your life. You can go, well, but Jesus just said love God. And he knows my heart. You ever heard anybody say that? He knows my heart. And so I love God, sure. Doesn't matter what I do. I, I love God. He knows that. I mean, I don't hate God. So I must love him, right? Maybe you'd rather Jesus just leave it at that. But he didn't, did he? No, he didn't didn't let us off the hook. He didn't leave it high and lofty or ambiguous. He didn't leave it as something only you can know about yourself, something only on the inside. Look at verse 39. He continues. He says, and a second is like it. Let me give you another one. Bonus round right here. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Oh, that's so much worse, isn't it? Like, Jesus, leave it at love God and I can be like totally fine with that. Because I can love God by getting a bumper sticker, right? I can love God by sharing that post that my friend won't shut up about. I can love God by passing on that Facebook message that as long as I pass it on to 10 people, Jesus will give me $100. I can love God by doing that. I just leave it at love God. Oh, Jesus. Now you're getting serious. Now you're getting serious. No one can call me on my love for God but love my neighbor, love the people next to me in my life. Not only love them but love them as much as I love me. Ah, that's difficult. That's more than a bumper sticker, right? More than a Christian t-shirt. More than a cross necklace. More than a cross tattoo even. And I've got a cross tattoo, all right? Jesus says the whole of scriptures, think about this. The whole of the scripture depends on not just the first, the greatest commandment to love God, but on these two commandments, Jesus says. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy statement. Love God and love people. All of the scriptures hang on these two, he says. And here's the thing, these are not two separate commandments, like they don't overlap and they don't have anything to do with each other. In fact, it's the opposite. They are inseparably connected. You cannot have the first commandment without the second. You cannot do the second without having the first. Let me say it a different way. You can't love God with all that you have and not live out a love for other people. It's impossible. You can't in a long, you know, sustainable way, live out a love for other people until you have first loved God. If you omit the first, you cripple your chances at the second. If you omit the second, you must not have read the first. They're inseparably connected, but we live like they're not. We live like somehow a love of God is separate from a love of people. Like it's separate from how I treat people, separate from how I love people, separate from whether I care about their eternal destiny or not, separate from making disciples. And really there's another layer to this whole thing. It doesn't really start with our love for God. Look at First John 1. Let me show you what I mean. First John 4, I mean. First John 4, it'll be on the screen, starting in verse 19. The apostle John writes this. We love because he first loved us. Let's read that together on three, okay? One, two, three. We love because he first loved us. Then verse 20, it says, If anyone loves, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother so this whole thing starts not with our love for God but with his love for us right that's where this thing starts it's like a chain reaction God loves us then we love God and then we love other people that's the way this is supposed to work here's what I'm saying a revelation of God's love for you will always lead you to love God and love others. A revelation of God's great love for you will always lead you to love God and love others, both. So if you're struggling to live out a love for people, to care about the eternal destiny of your coworkers actually, you probably care about that, to care about the eternal destiny of the boss you don't really like, Right? to care about the eternal destiny of the strangers you meet. If you're struggling with that, the problem starts with your revelation of God's love for you. His infinite, never-ending, grace-filled, power-soaked, always and forever love for you. The love he proved to you when he sent his son Jesus Christ. Because love always proves itself. Love always produces. Love always moves. Love is not static. It is not reluctant. It is not hidden for long. It is never stationary. Love always moves, proves, serves, sacrifices. So why make disciples? Love. The second reason obedience. Notice I started with love, because <laughs> you don't want to obey, right? And it's okay, you can admit it, like you don't want to obey. Nobody wants to obey. It's part of our sinful nature. The first sin was rebellion. Rebellion is a refusal to obey. So I started with love, because I didn't want you to tune me out when I said you just need to obey. But really, these two things are connected the only thing that fixes your aversion to obedience is love that's why I started with that love leads to a willingness to obey think about your kids when they refuse to obey it's because they are not yet totally convinced of your love for them that you know what's best and you want what's best for them they're not totally convinced about that and so they disobey they rebel When my two-year-old Hannah is throwing a fit on the floor like I've beaten her because she can't have the third Popsicle, it's because she doesn't really believe that I know what's best for her. I want what's best for her. I love her. And that's okay. We're working on it. Right? When my son Joshua is sitting next to me seething because he's having to sit out In time out because he was running next to the pool. He's doing that because he's not totally convinced that I love him, that I want what's best for him. He's not totally convinced that the reason he's sitting in time out is because I don't want him to drown. I don't want him to bust his head on the concrete, right? He doesn't get that yet. He doesn't understand that. Obedience and love are tied together. Obedience may be taken with force, but if it's given, it's only given with love. God's love for us and our love for him should lead us to both trust him and obey him. That's why John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Our love for God and our security and his love for us should lead us to trust and obedience. It's not rocket science, and you might not love this answer, and your sinful nature might rear up against it, but we make disciples because Jesus told us to make disciples. We do it because he said to do it, because it's his job to command and ours to obey. Look at the last thing recorded of the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the resurrected Jesus. He's going to ascend into heaven soon. The disciples are like flipping out. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know how this is going to work. And Jesus says some last things, last words, famous last words. How many of you know last words, if you get to plan them out, last words are pretty important, right? Famous last words before you die, or if you're Jesus, before you ascend into heaven. Right? Anyone's last words are important. Famous last words. Nostradamus, a guy whom many think could tell the future, had these last words. Tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here. He got that one right. He got that one right. That was supposed to be funny. You guys with me? He got that one right. Famous last words. Leonardo da Vinci famously said on his deathbed. Talk about a guy with high standards. Here's what Leonardo da Vinci said on his deathbed. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I'm like, what? (laughs) Give it a rest, dude. You did awesome, all right? You did awesome. High standards, that guy. A murderer named James W. Rogers was put in front of a firing squad in Utah and asked if he had any last requests. His last words before he died were, were, bring me a bulletproof vest. Famous last words, they're important, right, or sometimes not. Harriet Tubman's last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. D.L. Moody said, earth recedes, I feel like he may have planned this out because it's really poetic. Right? He said, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. And Moody's son said, no, no, Father, you're dreaming. And Moody replied, I'm not dreaming. I've been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It's glorious. Last words are important. If you were on your deathbed, what would your last words be to your wife, to your husband, to your kids? Jesus knew in Matthew 28 that he would soon ascend into heaven. He had one last chance to gather the boys up. He's outside. He's looking up. He's like, I'm about to head out. Last words. Famous. What am I going to tell the disciples? One last thing to leave them with. He could have said a lot of things, right? He could have said so many things. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Again, not an obscure passage. You've heard this before. You've heard me preach on it before. It says, starting in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So these are his last words to the disciples. And he reminds them real quick, like, why they should do what he says and why they should listen to him, right? He goes, all authority has been given to me, not just on earth, not just in heaven, but everywhere. I've got all the authority, so maybe you should listen to what I'm about to tell you. Here's what I want you to do, Jesus says. And then it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a Jesus follower. I don't know what God wants me to do in my life. I don't know what he's called me to. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, really. I've got the answer to that question. Make Disciples That's what you're supposed to do. Make disciples. That's it. L- look at other people who, who don't know Christ or are a step behind you following Christ and say, "Follow me, Follow me as I follow Christ. Make disciples. And not just of certain people, it says all nations, not just in certain places, all nations. That doesn't mean you yourself need to go to all nations. It means that everybody you come into contact with, whether they look like you, talk like you, vote like you, you should make disciples of them. All people, all nations, every single person you come into contact with. And how do you do that? Famous last words of Jesus here. How do you do that? We'll spend next week talking on the how, but Jesus' last words give you the main idea. He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, what do you know that I've said? What do you know? You Don't focus on what you don't know. What do you know? If you know something, then pass it on to somebody and say, hey, Come with me. Follow me as I follow Jesus. He has taught me this. Teach them to follow what he has said. I don't think I can, you say. I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think I can know enough. Well, he took care of that doubt in his last words too because he said, I'll always be with you. I'll be with you strengthening you. I'll be with you giving you what you need, equipping you. This is the last thing recorded about Jesus in Matthew. Make disciples. It's a command. Because it's for Jesus to command. And it's for us, as his followers, to obey. Why make disciples? Love, obedience, and number three. Strategy. You didn't see that coming, did you? Strategy. Let's assume you're sitting here with a desire to not only have Jesus in your own life. Let's assume for a moment that you're sitting here with a desire to not only have Jesus in your family's life. Let's assume just for a moment, it might be a huge assumption, but let's assume just for a moment that you actually have a desire in your heart to see all people everywhere come to know Christ and experience the love of Christ that you've experienced in your life. If that's true, you have that desire, but when you look at your life right now and you're honest, there is no string of disciples there is no group of people that you've discipled in the faith, that you are now discipling in the faith. There is no string of dis- disciples, people following you as you follow Christ. In fact, if you're honest, outside of your kids in your house, maybe you, you'd say you haven't really made any disciples, not one. Not one disciple, really. The gospel has traveled 2,000 years in a The world, to this side of the world, it has pierced your heart. It lightened your heart to the truth of the gospel, transformed your life. But if something doesn't change, if you're honest with yourself. Now, if you want to play games, I'm not here to play games with you. If you're honest with yourself, if nothing changes, that string, that thread of the gospel going through hundreds, maybe thousands of people to get into your life will, in fact, stop with you. If something doesn't change, it will stop. There will be no other disciples. If that's you, you love God, you have a real desire for everyone to know him and be changed by him, but you're not making disciples. You're not discipling anyone. Maybe maybe it's because you're just kind of overwhelmed by the math of it all. Maybe... Maybe it's because you're thinking, what could I possibly do to make disciples of all nations, right? Like, what could I do? When you look at the state of the world, you know Jesus is the answer. You just don't know what your part in that is. You don't know how you could do anything to contribute to that. You have this kind of drop-in-the-bucket mentality, Anything I can do is just going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what needs to be done. You can't make what you consider to be a meaningful impact now, so why bother? It goes for other things, too. I mean, you care about homelessness, but you helping one homeless guy, isn't what's he going to do to fix homelessness? You, you care uh, about poverty and inequality, but what's you helping one person out of poverty going to do for the billions or billions in the world who need help if i made a disciple a year and i die in 40 years that's 40 disciples if i went crazy and made 5 disciples a year that'd be 200 disciples what is 200 disciples compared to like 6 billion people who need to hear the gospel and be discipled in the faith what does it matter If that's you, you have this drop-in-the-bucket mentality, and you're saying, what difference does it make? First, I would say to you that it makes a a huge difference to that one drop, right? The one person you help out of homelessness makes a huge difference to that person. The one person you help out out of poverty, it makes a huge difference to that person. The one person you disciple, the 40, if you got 40 in the next 40 years, those 40 people, the fact that they are now in the light of Christ, the life of Christ, out of darkness and death, it means a lot to those 40, right? So I'll just throw that out there. It means a lot to the drop. But outside of that, and outside of the whole, we should just trust Jesus' plan because he's Jesus, outside of that, I get it I get that this looks like a bad plan I get that this whole one at a time thing looks like a bad plan an ineffective way to change the world you don't trust the math well let me see if I can just convince you in the next couple minutes let's have a race I need five volunteers I'm kidding let's have a race we'll call it the Jesus race because I'm not that creative the Jesus race and the goal of the Jesus race is to win the world for Jesus Christ. Our race is going to be between two teams. Team number one is made up of 10,000 churches. And their plan is to reach, to each add 1,000 people to the kingdom of God. To win 1,000 people to Christ every year. If you're good at math, that means they would be adding 10 million Christians to the Christian roles every year. This is the addition strategy. Everybody say addition strategy. And it's the strategy of most Christians. When asked, how will the world change? How is Christ going to reach the world? How is this going to happen? Most Christians would say, well, I guess my church is just going to add a bunch of people. And every church is just going to keep adding until finally the whole world knows about Jesus. It will just happen one day. This is the addition strategy. Team number two is not 10,000 churches. It's one person. Team number two is you. Congratulations. And your plan is to win one person to Christ every year. And to disciple them, teach them how to do the same thing the next year. So the first year, counting you, there are only two people added to the kingdom on your side. And team one has added 10 million. You're already behind. The second year, your total is up to four, and theirs is up to 20 million. After four years, you're up to 16, and they're up to 40 million. And maybe you're going, there's no way I'll ever catch up. There's no way I'll ever be able to do this. I'm going to definitely lose the Jesus race, and I'm probably going to lose a crown in heaven. I mean, do I I make it in heaven if I lose the Jesus race? I don't know. You decide. But do the math. If we have six billion lost people, let's say, in the world, It'll take Team 1 600 years to reach everyone. And that's assuming the population doesn't increase at all. Right now, some people say that the, some experts say that the, the population is increasing about 100 million a year. If it's even half of that, think about how Team 1 is adding 10 million a year. But our population is growing by maybe 100 billion, maybe 50 million a year. They'll never catch up, right? They'll never catch up to the population. But you, you may start out slow. But by year 33, Team 2 has 8.5 billion Christians on it. Congratulations, you you won the Jesus race. Good job, everybody. You did it. Here's my point. Jesus' strategy, that every disciple be a disciple-maker, that every follower look to as many people as they can and say, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not just about spiritual stuff like love and obedience. It's about strategy. It is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best plan. So if you have a revelation of God's love for you, and that's caused you to love God and to love other people. If you want to obey his commands because you trust him, but you've had this whole drop-in-the-bucket mentality, you've been paralyzed by the whole idea, like, what? Could, where do I even start? How could I even affect this huge number? Take comfort and find strength in this. The plan is simple. It may not be easy, but it is absolutely simple. Make disciples who make disciples. Start with one. Disciple them into the faith. Help them take their next step towards God, and then their next step towards God, and then their next step towards God. And teach them how to do the same with someone else. Teach them what you know. Lead them closer to, G- to Jesus. And then go from there. Listen. Listen. There is no level to get to before you start discipling. It's not like you have to follow Jesus for a while and then he promotes you to rabbi status and he gives you a downline, right? And you kind of disciple your downline. That was just a kind of a shot at the, at the pyramid schemes. Anyways, you're, it's not like that. You don't have to be a rabbi to disciple people. It's all at once. We lead others towards Jesus as we follow Jesus, right? We learn as they learn, or they learn as we learn. We make mistakes, they make mistakes. They see Jesus pick us up off the floor when we make a mistake. They see us learn something new, or Jesus change what we thought we knew. They watch all of that. You really only have to be like a tiny micro step ahead of the person you're trying to disciple. You don't have to be a rabbi. I said last week that this starts with you becoming a follower of Jesus. But listen, beloved. Please, I'm pleading with you. Don't let it end with you becoming a follower of Jesus. Don't let it end with you becoming a Christian. Please, I'm pleading with you. Don't let it end with you getting involved in church. Don't let it end with you getting your kids in church it can't it just can't it's about more than that right following christ is not just about you and your family it's about more than that making disciples is not just about leading your two kids into the faith and teaching them how to follow jesus that's part of it sure but it's not all of it it can't be Because of God's love for us, his great love for us. Because Matthew 28 says, make disciples of all nations, all. Not just you, not just your kids, not just your family, not just your little bubble you live in, all. Because this is the master plan of Jesus. This is his brilliant strategy. You make disciples that make disciples until the whole world has a chance to experience the love of Christ that you've experienced. If that's the case, if this is all true, then you and I are going to have to expand our hearts and our minds to encompass more people. We're going to have to look at this whole follow me as I follow Christ thing. Not as something we whisper to a few but as something we say in a megaphone from a mountaintop to the masses. Here's a thought. Is it even possible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not make other disciples? I'm not sure. I mean, a paper mill is not a paper mill if it doesn't produce paper. A cornfield's not a cornfield if it doesn't produce corn. A school's not a school if it doesn't produce graduates. Maybe a disciple of Jesus is not a disciple of Jesus if they don't produce disciples of Jesus. We saw what Jesus' last words were, so let me, let me ask you this question. What if Jesus' first question to you when you see him next is what did you do with the last thing I told you to do? Will you be able to point to the disciples you've made? Or will you say something like, oh, you meant that literally? <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't understand. Oh, Jesus, I gave a lot of money to other people who make disciples. What will you say? Well, I discipled my kids. Isn't that what you meant by all nations? Disciple the kids in my house? It's not my fault other people didn't disciple their kids. What will you say? Well, Jesus, nobody ever asked me to disciple them. What will you say? This next generation just won't listen. They're just hard to get along with. What will your answer be? I hear angst and anxiety from people all over about the state of the world. They ask why. Why is the world this way? Why aren't other more people experiencing the love of Christ? Why is there so much evil? Why is are the majority of churches on this side of the world declining and many of them closing their doors? Why won't the next generation follow the Lord? Why aren't my kids following the Lord? Why is are so many families in my extended family falling apart? I believe the answer is that We've failed in this very fundamental way. We have forgotten to live by 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. We've neglected to make disciples of all nations. We've rejected Jesus' master plan to change the world and rescue people from darkness. And that's Sad. And maybe, maybe we should grieve over that. Maybe we should feel some of what the Bible calls godly sorrow over that. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to change. Maybe we should grieve a little bit. But don't stay there. Because the God who made you is ready and waiting for you to pick this back up for you to step out in faith. He's ready to equip you to disciple other people, to live your life with the mantra, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't stay in a state of grief over lost opportunities because if we'll actually do this, then there is this great potential. Like an unborn baby in their mother's womb, there's this great and unknown potential. The sky's the limit, right? Like a farmer laying seed into the ground after a long drought has been broken by the rain. There's potential for increase, harvest, food for the masses, change. So maybe the question shouldn't be why is the world this way, but instead why am I this way? Love, obedience, strategy. Why am I not making disciples? I know you have questions about the how. How do we actually go about doing this? We're going to spend all next week talking about that, so don't miss it. But don't let those questions stop you from making disciples right now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just your word, as always, uh, that speaks truth, that remains and I pray for the seed of your word to go deep into our hearts and find good soil today and to everybody in this room I thank you for God all that you've brought here and I pray that you would allow us to to bear fruit for you to make disciples I pray as I always do God that whatever was of me would be easily forgotten this week but whatever is of you would remain would would haunt us would go deep into our hearts Lord, I pray for those in this room who would, if they're honest, say, I am currently not a follower of Jesus. I, I can't make disciples. I can't say, follow me as I follow Christ, because I'm not following Christ. I pray, Lord, without a long drawn-out thing today, that they would in their mom, in this moment, make a decision for you. To leave this place and immediately begin following after you. To take care of that right here, right now. I pray they would listen to the message from last week and hear what it means to be a follower of you, God. they would find somebody who can help them along the way, to disciple them. And that they would begin making disciples immediately. I pray that a decision is made in those hearts right now. That they would tell somebody next to them, somebody in their family, that it would be real. That they would even get baptized next time we do baptisms. I pray for us who are followers of Christ, followers of you, God but have not been discipling others, making disciples. Lord, let us not just be convicted. Let us also reach out to you for you to give us your power, to empower us to make disciples from this day forward. We love you. We give all this to you. And we pray big prayers because you're a big God. We want to see our communities our towns, our cities, central Illinois, the state of Illinois, our nation and the world transformed by the truth of your gospel and the love you sh- have shown to us in Jesus Christ. Let us, this church, Great Oaks Community Church, be a part of that. Allow us to go out and multiply to make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're running out of time. Pastor Nate and the worship team are going to lead us in a song, but I'm going to say a prayer over you, and then you can feel dismissed. You can go get your kids. We've got prayer workers at the side that would love to pray for you, but here's my prayer for you before you leave. May you see clearly who you are following and who is following you. May you have a clear revelation of God's love for you in Christ (laughs) Jesus that translates into a love for God and a love for other people. And also that it translates into good old-fashioned obedience. And sometime very soon, maybe even today, may you be able to say with your life, follow me as I follow Christ. Make sure... We stop at the tables on the way out and help us with our three services going forward Talk top this over with a life group this week. Stop at Connection Central. If you're not in a life group, we'll get you plugged in. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless you. And you're dismissed. Go get your kids.